0: Welcome to Deep Breath In, the podcast from the BMJ, sponsored by Medical Protection, where we tackle the everyday challenges of being a GP. Today we're taking a look at the long-running saga of the much-delayed switch-on of automatic access to all new GP records via the NHS app for patients in England. Those records include results, hospital letters, and your free text jottings made hastily between patients as you rush to click save consultation and switch windows to see how long your next patient has been waiting. In today's episode, we'll speak to three experts about open notes and ask what the implications of this change will be and how to adapt to an open notes world. I'm Tom Nolan. I'm a GP and a clinical editor for the BMJ, and I'm joined by my usual so co-hosts, uh, Navjot and Jenny. Hi, Navjot.
1: Hi, my name's Navjot Larder. I'm a clinical editor at the BMJ and a locum GP in London.
0: And are you a a note scribbler or a kind of full kind of verse narrative?
1: Well, I'm someone who often overruns, if that kind of tells you, (laughs) gives you any indication of uh, of what my approach to notes. But yeah, I'm like very narrative, like to write um, complete sentences, probably don't make enough use of shortcuts, that kind of thing. Um,
2: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Okay. And uh, Jenny, hi.
2: Hi, I'm Jenny Rasanathan. I'm a family medicine doctor and clinical editor for the BMJ.
0: What about your note style? I imagine you've got a good, crisp, concise, but
2: <laughs> interesting. Uh, I'm actually much more like Naptoid. Okay. I I like I like complete sentences. I like my notes to be thorough. I want anyone coming to my note later to understand exactly what happened which often means it takes me ages to write notes <laughs> oh, okay. do you think as editors like,
1: we're not a good kind of sample <laughs> kind of oh maybe, should should be be be, maybe we should be
2: better but um, yeah.
1: we're wordy we like we like words <laughs> i
2: have had that thought i like can't stand a typo in my notes yeah <laughs> we
0: can't yeah. we
1: can't like it's like my texting <laughs> is like very full sentences as well so
0: well, okay. Well, anyway, let's talk to our guests. We've got three guests today, uh, so and these are all uh, co-authors from the BMJ's recent education article on this subject. Uh, and yeah, let's say hi. So first, we have Charlotte. Hi.
3: Hi there. My name's Charlotte Blaze. Um, my background's philosophy, um, but I've always been impressed by working in an interdisciplinary way, and so I've been working on a variety of different health-related research. Projects in the last um, was over the last decade, but been based at Open Notes at, at Harvard Medical School for three years, um, and I've j- just left there. We'll be taking up a post at Uppsala University in Sweden, looking at patients' health data. So that's my
0: perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm afraid you're not the first philosopher we've had on the, the program. You're oh the, gosh, the, the, well, not even the second, but the third. So I'm sorry to. I'm
3: glad to hear that.
0: <laughs> Uh, And then uh, Brian. Hi, Brian. Hi, I'm Brian McMillan.
4: I'm a GP in Sheffield and I'm also a Senior Clinical Lecturer at the Centre for Primary Care and Health Services Research at the University of Manchester. So my week is split between uh, academic research and clinical work. Uh, I've been doing that now for probably about 10 years. Uh, I got interested in um, patient records access during my GP training when I was looking at health mobile apps and then I I sort of moved on to look at the history behind the the patient record in primary care and our most recent two pieces of work was the, the first one was a qualitative study where we spoke to 50 patients and carers about the kind of things they'd like to be able to do with records access and the most recent qualitative study we did we spoke to 30 members of primary care staff. Asking about their views and experiences of patients being able to access their records from home.
0: Excellent. Well, I'm sure. Well, we'll be going into that, I'm sure, and uh, imagine you've got a range of views, uh, as there has been on this subject from from GPs, I suppose, in particular. But um, we'll save that for for a moment. Uh, our third guest is is Gail. Hi, Gail.
5: Hi. Oh, thanks for having me here today. Um, it's a really interesting topic. So I'm an academic health researcher and like Charlotte, I do a lot of sort of interdisciplinary work. Um, I work with Brian at the Centre for Primary Care and Health Services Research at the University of Manchester. So a lot of my previous work before coming into health has been around kind of how people are positioned to make decisions in all sorts of different areas in education, health and social care. And I first got involved in this when I started working with Brian on um, a project that he just mentioned, looking at what patients think. And then we moved on to what we thought was kind of the next logical step to find out what um, health professionals think about this. So I'm kind of like a bit of a a diplomat in all this, looking at what patients think and what clinicians think. And then I've just also started a bit of work um, that's going to be looking at particular groups of patients and finding out what they're, needs and expectations and kind of experiences are about reading their note um so that we can kind of develop this into some further training for professionals in the future
0: which i would like to to receive so <laughs> i look forward to that <laughs> um thank you but uh, well, i thought we should start just with a bit of um set the scene really it's been an interesting year for anyone who's been following this which of course you three have a lot could Could you give us a a brief overview of what what the plan changes are and and how that's gone down, perhaps, or why it's been delayed? So uh,
4: the the original plan uh, came out of the the GP uh, GMS contract in England in April 2020. It was written into the contract that GPs were contractually obliged to offer patients prospective access to their medical record online from April 2020. And initially, GPs dealt with that on a well, case-by-case basis. It was a, an opt-in model. Uh, and then last year, NHS England uh, announced that they were going to make it more of a default. So anybody that signed up for online services such as the NHS app would automatically have access to Everything in their record from that point on. So any new data added into the record would become visible, and that was just by default, rather than having to opt in. Uh, originally, that was planned to happen in April last year. Uh, it got delayed, uh, and that it was it was planned to happen December um, last year. That got delayed a bit further, and. Eventually, oh sorry, I got this slightly wrong. It was originally planned for December last year, then it got delayed till April this year, uh, and finally, um it's it's going to happen at the end of this month in November. Um, so prospective records access um means that uh, any new data added to the record from the end of November onwards will be visible by anyone that's signed up for an online service, uh, and that includes free text that are. Uh, entered by GPs in the consultation. It includes hospital letters, referral letters, test results. Uh, The one thing it doesn't include is um, tasks sent between GPs or other clinicians at the practice. Uh, It does include things like it it will include medication lists, allergies, vaccinations. So it's pretty much everything in
0: the record. Mm -hmm. Okay, so not tasks. That's helpful. And and what about screen? <laughs> Any other screen messages or anything else?
4: No. So it, it wouldn't it wouldn't include screen messages either. So why has it been delayed? So I mean, I think one of the reasons was the the BMA raised some concerns um, about safeguarding and felt that GPs needed a bit more time to prepare for the change. Um, that's certainly my understanding, and I think some of the um, electronic record systems uh, weren't quite ready for the change as well so there were some adaptations were required
0: yeah um thank you Brian and I guess I thought so now we know where, where we are with things I'd, I'd like to cover the sort pros and cons and maybe starting with the the pros I know the patient movements and the BMJ has been a part of this but the, there's a a big um push from patient movements to make this happen um I guess you might say it's obvious why but but could could you just run us through that Uh, maybe charlotte
3: sure yeah i mean a lot of survey research has been undertaken in the nordic countries and in the us Um, and we were already doing some in fact brian gail and myself are doing some survey research together as well on this but um in in the english context but their Survey research shows that patients do derive quite a lot of benefits from this, in terms of better understanding their care plan, um, because patients do misremember a lot of what happened during the visit and what was communicated. Um, follow-up and next steps, for example. So to that extent, it could be a patient safety mechanism that it enhances um, recall about what to do ne- next and what to follow up on. Um, patients feel more in control of their, their healthcare and they do report in some surveys that, that we conducted, um, oh, okay, albeit there's limitations with survey research too, but uh, report doing a better job, taking their medications as well. So and some patients report trusting, um, most report no difference, in fact, but um, it may be that that openness um, and that invitation just to read the the records does imbue a sort of um, enhanced trust among patients, um, with respect to their doctor, I, th- I think one thing I would contextualise with this this issue of benefits derived from, and we can talk about potential harms and things. I think nothing is ever straightforward in life, but um, it's. I think it's really important to to ask what happens when patients don't have access to records, so there's there's not the sort of moral vacuum that that, uh, that arises with. Uh, where open notes or or patient access um, changes the, the perspective on the the ethics of things, I think we have to ask what are the benefits, what are the harms of not having access to those records and I mean, I, many of us have, are caregivers or uh, patients. And I even had a little bit of experience this myself with my my partner who's, who's allowed me to, to speak about this, but maybe that we'll trickle that into the conversation a bit. But um, the lack of access really was quite, it sends you down a kind of a Google rabbit hole of what it say what was we got one discharge letter at one point and you know honestly we didn't understand an awful lot of what was said in the note neither of us are medical doctors but it does give you a clearer picture and it helps you prepare for the next uh, consultation or whatever but we can talk about harms
5: and so on too it's quite interesting that uh, health professionals themselves can actually see all these benefits um you know when we started talking to people we opened with a question that said what do you think about this as a general idea or principle and virtually everyone um kind of agreed with the principle of it um but there was always a but um, and the buts were often centered around their own fears about kind of managing their own kind of professional uh, reputation or their their own safety but um I think it's quite interesting that, in theory, a lot of people agree with this, but it's that whole concept of uh, opening things up and being more transparent. It's quite a scary process, and, you know, it's quite a new thing um, for everyone to to cope with. But I I think it's important to kind of highlight that most clinicians I've spoke to actually really do agree uh, with the idea of this, but on a certain level. And I think the thing um, that worries people more than anything else is the access to the free text consultation note um there wasn't much opposition to patients being able to um kind of have a look at their what what had gone on in their consultation to get their, the reassurance as um charlotte mentioned or things like um uh, being able to demonstrate some accountability so patients can see that nothing has actually been kept from them uh i think often people kind of jump to the conclusion that all patients are going to be checking everything to make sure that it's all present and correct. But actually, on the flip side of that, it can actually be a way of showing that you're doing your job well um, and it's something to kind of like be celebrated. Um, And this thing about being an aid memoir has come up quite a lot. Things like if a patient might have a, a really difficult diagnosis or consultation, Um, And I say difficult consultation from a patient's perspective. I know that um, GPs often write difficult consultation and mean something else. Um, But often the only word you might hear is your diagnosis. Um, So to be able to go back home once you've had a chance to kind of process that and actually read through what has been said, patients find that incredibly reassuring and a a real benefit. And also involving carers as well. Uh, That came up quite a lot in our work with them. Patients. we did speak specifically to groups of carers and they found that really helpful because often there's communication problems or they really struggle to kind of feel like they're involved or know exactly what's going on so there's another third party kind of involved in that that can also benefit which benefits both patients and clinicians Um, and then again like in terms of workload as well you know uh, most of the patients we spoke to really recognize that actually more than anything they want their notes to serve a clinical function they don't want the fact that they've got access to them to detriment the clinician or themselves in any way um and i think you know that's another important point that surprised me really that patients are often said first and foremost we want this to be you know a safe space and we, we want we want this to work but we also want to be able to see what's going on Um, one of the sort of wider benefits is around this whole kind of opportunity with increased transparency to kind of move away from this more paternalistic approach and actually dismantle some of the traditional hierarchies that exist or have existed within their practice and now both patients have got access to the same information and and that changes the whole kind of like dynamic really and the relationship between the patient and the clinician and you know some of the clinicians we spoke to said actually now it's becoming a shared document rather than something that just a clinician uses and that raises all sorts of benefits and challenges around that but i think that's uh, you know a key benefit really that needs to be underlined
0: so so we do actually have a, a, a clip from a patient so now might be a good time to to listen to that as from their experience like you say from actually not being able to access their their record and um and why they would like to be able to see more uh, so this is from uh, kay gallagher who has um, kindly recorded this voice message for us and that's coming up after this from our sponsor
6: When you're a GP, you're not just nine to five. Being a GP is part of who you are, whatever the time of day. So when it comes to your indemnity, you need someone you can turn to at any time. Medical protection is always here for you with expert medico-legal advice, including 24/7 in an emergency. We don't just cover patient claims. We're also here to provide support and legal representation when it comes to GMC inquiries coroner inquests, criminal investigations and more. Online, we offer risk prevention courses and webinars to keep you up to date with current news, risks and legislation. We also go the extra mile when it comes to your well-being. With a free counselling service and eCare app, we're helping members take positive steps to better mental and physical health. It's the protection your career deserves, all in one place. And if you're about to qualify or have recently qualified, we can help you take the next step in your career with savings on membership for newly qualified GPs. To find out more, visit medicalprotection.org.
7: I understand there's lots of issues surrounding patients having access to their medical notes and I can see that for surgeries it's a complete change in the way they work. But I think that having access to my notes will help me be a better partner in managing my own healthcare. I've had a really hard time trying to get to see my notes. I live in Salford and they've been running one of the first trials in tying GP notes and hospital notes together. So I've known for a while that my notes were computerised and couldn't understand why I couldn't have access. So back in 2019, I naively turned up at the surgery reception and asked very politely if I could see my notes. I meant could I look at them on the computer at home? Well, honestly, they were so shocked. You'd have thought I'd asked to see their knickers. There was a lot of huffing and puffing by the reception staff and I was told it was going to cost me £50 and would take a while to set up. After several months, I did get to see my notes on the computer in the surgery. I didn't have to pay £50 because I didn't want them printed out. There was nothing dramatic, no mix-up with anybody else and no surprises but the upshot was that I couldn't get access to my notes at home. Um, to me, it's all been so unnecessarily complicated. I think it's a really good idea for patients to be able to see our medical notes. It helps patients to be partners in managing their own health care and helps to improve patient safety. It reduces demand on the practice. And after an appointment, I don't always remember what's been discussed. So having a written record of the consultation would be reassuring for me. So finally, my plea is really just for for doctors and GP surgeries to communicate with patients. Let us know what's happening or not happening. Um, And I'm sure that by working together, we'll be able to turn this situation into a really positive thing for the future.
0: Nafjoy joy. Um, so we heard there from Kate, you know, this challenge for doctors to to embrace this. So are you, are you feeling that way?
1: Well, I think I I, I sort of agree with what um, everyone said already. Is that the the benefits there are are, are there for for people to see? And it's, there's clearly an appetite among some patients to have access to this. Um, and you know, I, I think yeah, I think the impression I get is that um, GPs uh are are supportive of this of an idea so it's it's um it's a shame that you know it, it's had all these obstacles to kind of being being implemented and maybe that's something we can talk about now is why what are some of those kind of downsides that people have focused on sort of above above these benefits
0: yeah i think that's but uh, we could spend a long time maybe we should spend a long time on that because i think that's what for me you know i think it's I, like you say gail um yeah, I get that so this is a really good thing in, in general in principle um but it's the the nitty-gritty isn't it of, of how it gets implemented so Brian I suppose workload is is one big thing isn't it like I, I I've certainly had consultations directly as a result of somebody having access full access to their notes and they come and they want to talk to you about it I mean so I I sometimes look at the um the people who say well it doesn't it's not going to increase your workload and think well I think it well, I think it might but um is that fair
4: yeah, I think um, as a GP myself, uh, I can see that this, you know, this is potentially quite a significant change to the way that we work. Um, I mean, the the, the the GP record wasn't designed with a patient audience in mind. It was primarily designed as an aid memoir for us, for ourselves, and also to inform our colleagues about what our plans were for the patients we were seeing. Um, and, and like you said, you know, it's one more thing to think about in our already really busy days um, and certainly the the 30 members of primary care staff that we spoke to um, did express you know a number of concerns and i can understand those concerns i think it's part of our job to think about worst case scenarios um and that, i think that's what we are doing you know with records access we're, we're doing what we do as part of our job Um, And the concerns that the clinicians we spoke to raised were typically related to one of four things, I think uh, workload, um, safeguarding, the the potential for what patients read to confuse them or cause them distress, um, and the potential for it to further widen health inequities. I think what the, the issue you, you raised about the potential for it to increase workload. Uh, so there's there's been a few systematic reviews done in this area, and one of those systematic reviews found that there was either uh, no change to healthcare usage or a reduction, uh, which I found actually surprising. Um, uh, another piece of work that's been done by NHS England, they had a series of early adopter sites that, that switched on prospective records access early. Uh, and they they found that most of the practices they worked with, I think it was about 16 practices, didn't find any significant increase in workload as a result of switching records access on. Personally, I think there is a potential for it to increase workload a bit at the beginning. I think that there's certain things that we're, need, we're gonna have to think about that we've we, we, in the past we've classically not really thought about. We've not thought about what we're writing in the notes having a patient audience but we're going to have to start thinking about that and i think that's going to take a bit of adapting uh, things like putting on med codes for patients who are potentially don't understand the implications and maybe don't have the capacity to understand the implications of their full record being on their mobile phone or patients who you know we we might happen to know we're in a coercive relationship I mean, the vast majority of patients who are in coercive relationships, we won't know, but if we're we're aware of that, then we'll need to spend a bit of time putting those codes on. So I think initially there is potential for it to increase our workload a bit, but I think in the longer term, there is potential for records access to decrease workload because patients won't have to call the practice up to find out their normal test results, or they won't have to call the practice up to get a copy of a hospital letter, or if they're, you know, if they're, travel insurance company wants evidence of their medical conditions they can just log on and print that off themselves so I think in the longer term it certainly would have the potential to decrease workload.
5: One thing that came out of the interviews was um, concerns about workload increasing but also a kind of a change to the workflow rather than so some quite a few people brought up the fact that actually it's just going to change who does what within the practice and also people that have a non-clinical background, there's going to be some kind of um, issues around them having the knowledge to be able to answer patient queries and some concerns around that's all going to fall at the clinician's um, Mm. door. And, you know, Brian mentioned earlier, so there's potential for decreases in workload around patients contacting the practice, which might reduce workload for non-clinical members of staff. But then for clinicians within that, like you said, within the space of um, the actual consultation itself, it's that mental load of thinking about, you know, writing for the patient, knowing that they're going to see their notes. Is that going to take you longer? Or is that something that over time, you know, people will get better at and they'll become quicker at mm-hmm. it. And, and in the longer term, it will kind of even out. But there were lots of Uh, discussion around kind of it's just going to change the way that things are organized and who who is actually doing things within the practice like some practices that have have done this for some time have people like clinical data managers or big practices even it might um be sort of contingent on what your practice is like for example so Mm -hmm. if you live in an area where it's a really affluent area where you have a lot of really sort of um patients that are very health literate uh, there were concerns that they ha- might have more impact on their workload than somebody that's in a, an area where they tend to get less patient inquiries in the first instance. So it's a, re- it's a really hard one to nail yeah. really as, as to whether the workload is going to increase or not. I think a lot of it depends on your patient population and and also like how how you kind of like the capacity of the, of the uh, practice itself. So have you got people that, that are brilliant with IT or, you know, you might have someone who's, been used to dealing with this somewhere else so they can pick that up and i'm and with it
0: yeah yeah all well, good points yeah and it just does depend so much on, on the people around you or the, the the capacity and and so all those factors yeah uh, jenny are you are you listening to this thinking this is more parochial english um stuff or, or does it is this um do you see some of this in the places you've worked and i'm thinking in the us where a lot of the patient notes is about billing isn't it And yeah, that's, uh, is that not right?
2: (laughs) I mean, I think this is a internationally relevant article. So I've been just enjoying the conversation and our discussion of the issue. Um, I do think that some of the kind of clinician concerns are also shared across different contexts. Um, and so, um, in the United States, I think there are some more progressive places that have already made notes fully available and shareable with patients. Uh, that was not the experience that I had in the health system where I worked in New York or in Michigan. Um, you know, in New Zealand, again, I think there were lots of conversations around access to notes, but people did not yet have kind of full access to notes. And I think there was a, I don't know, maybe a reluctance for doctors to say out loud that they were kind of dreading the move to open notes just because of concerns around workload. You know, I don't don't think anyone at this point would admit to not wanting this. And I think we all acknowledge the benefits. I think it's more just kind of getting at some of the Unsaid reluctance around change, around change management, around technology hangups, around you know, different things that we're talking about today, the kind of nitty-gritty bits of implementation. And then and then, of course, you know, just to add, I've also worked in Cambodia where records are in some of the public health clinics really limited to a patient register. People don't have kind of notes as we might think of them in a UK or US context, some patients carry with them their own medical records in contrast. So for pregnant patients in Cambodia, for example, they'll have their own booklet of patient care that people write, blood pressures on, for example, at every appointment, that they track their pregnancy, their iron levels. Um, but uh, that that stays with the patient. That belongs to them, and they actually carry it with them. So um, I think there is also something here just around kind of lower and middle-income country context and how, um, in some ways, EHRs or, excuse me, electronic health records may or may not facilitate uh, patients' own access to their records. I think that's, those are all fascinating points.
3: Um, and I think what's what's interesting about the debate is, I don't think it is a parochial debate in England, and and you're right to say it's just within England, because healthcare is regionalised in the UK, that patients will be offered access to records. But we're seeing the same kind of universal themes arising in different countries about doctors being worried about this. I think it's uh, similarly we're seeing the same themes with patients about what they like about it but um, so uh, so it, it it's definitely recurrent themes in survey research and so on um, and as, um, as Jennifer said that in some countries patients do own their own record in India for example you own your records you bring them to the doctor to get updated I think we could learn a lot from different countries about how they've managed that in terms of potential even for, do patients change their records? I mean, I think that's an interesting question too. Um, but in terms of the um, demographic issues within countries, there's a really complicated picture because the survey, so in America now, um, all patients through the 21st Century Cures Act since last year do have access. Um, it's it, The move is to default access, but what the surveys show is that Patients who are low income, um, with fewer um, years of formal education, minorities, um, older patients, people who don't speak English as a first language, they derive more benefits from going online to read their notes. Um, and that may be because there are more obstacles in the face-to-face consultation that they that they're confronted by. So that those communication breakdowns are supplemented when they get access to the, the records. Um, and, and patients from those populations, they, they do report trusting their doctor more. But the, the, the challenge is they're less likely to go online um, because of the, the digital divide, the certain barriers to, to access. Um, so it is a, a more complicated picture. And I think it's also worth saying that some survey research that's come out shows that patients from those populations are also less, um, patients, um, minorities, um, patients with some chronic illnesses also um, will experience more stigmatizing language and notes. So there's this interesting issue of will record access make um, or promote a, a sort of an attitude where, where doctors are better stewards of, of their their records for all patients. It's an interesting idea. Um, but the other issue I just wanted to throw in is, as, as um, Brian says, the EHR was not designed for patient access. And I think this is a big issue um, in terms of, of, of justice here as well. So if patients are not understanding what they read. And there is a difference between data Information and knowledge, so some of the data points that I saw even on my partner 's uh, letter the the discharge letter that he received i didn 't understand at all what 's the first thing you do. You go online, you use a search engine you 're basically cutting and pasting, and so who are the benefactors of of this health data information when we go online it, it's it 's tech giants who may be learning and gleaning a lot of information, and that 's a particular worry. In countries that aren't protected by GDPR, um, and even GDPR has loopholes uh, in the European and the UK context, but it's also the most vulnerable patients who may have the most to lose through health insurance decision making, all of that information being available. And we've got to consider how we design portals to prevent people leaking their own information online.
5: I just wanted to come in on that point. Um, that it crops up all the time in the literature um as almost an aside, but it's it's really important. It's like who owns these records? So if in India or in France, you know, patients have that paper copy that they carry around with them, it kind of feels like that they own that and, and the clinicians are kind of adding to it. But when it became electronic, Uh, in england for example it becomes a different kind of space and more of a a kind of shared space and before i started doing some work with brian i was looking at, at using blockchain as a way of kind of managing health data and i spoke to a lot of patients there and there were real concerns around like who's looking after us who's looking after this information are people selling it on um you know it kind of taps into a a whole load of, of wider debates about um you know this this health information who who does it belong to and if it becomes valuable you know or, or or if there's some risk around it who's responsible kind of for looking after that so i think this uh you know opening this up to be more transparent is is not quite as clear-cut as it first seems in the first instance
0: yeah it's it's so interesting we, we i suppose um in the uk um Women who are pregnant have had their paper notes in that similar way to as you as you described Jenny, but it, a lot of they're going online a lot now. And, and the feedback I always get is I, I, I don't like it. I, I preferred it when I had my paper notes. Um and they're maybe less engaged in than when they're online. I don't know.
5: I get I guess if someone has it on their smartphone, we're kind of moving towards this, you know, more digital uh, world that for some people who are lucky enough to have a smartphone it's kind of replaced the paper kind mm. of copy it in a way but then that that does divide um whole populations into you know who has a paper record who has an electronic record in terms of equity yeah. as well
3: yeah yeah I, I should just add one point i mean one thing i noticed in my partner's case I me mean, i was very hungry for information he didn't really want to engage with it he just He just didn't. And a lot of people are going to be avoidant uh, when it comes to finding out more and logging in. And um, not everyone wants to know um, uh, or they want to find out in their own time. And I suppose the access thing does give people that opportunity as opposed to you just have that one visit or one consultation and and everything is is focused and and concentrated and it's a very high and can be a very high anxiety situation. For patients and doctors, I would imagine. Hmm.
4: It, just picking up on something you mentioned, Tom, about you know some people preferring things to be on paper. Um, I think it goes back to the, the the point that some of the clinicians we spoke to raised about being worried that records access might increase health inequities. And I think it is important for us to remember that not everybody's going to have, not everyone's going to be willing or able to access their. Health records online, and it's important for us to still offer those people alternative options. So, rather than just sending a link to a patient information website, they might still want that patient information leaflet printing out. Um, another another issue, I guess, is that a lot of the mobile apps maybe aren't very accessible for for certain individuals. So, someone who's got dyslexia or someone who's visually impaired. Um, the mobile apps because of the small screens might not be best suited to them. So one of the things we could do is, you know, let patients know that there are alternative options available. So the NHS app and a lot of the other online records access services do have PC-based versions and you can log on to one of the PC-based versions on a big screen. You can change the font size, you can change the colour of the background, you can get some of the text read aloud. So, you know, we could sort of raise that with patients and let them know that if they do have problems with accessing their their mobile app there are other ways to do it
0: and i guess that's where this goes from something that seems quite straightforward you know you switch on access to to something that actually is um does take a lot quite a lot of resource and or time and um thought to implement you know at a local level
4: yeah I, i think it's something We're going to have to build it into the consultation a bit. So, you know, one of the things about records access at the minute, that I think there's still quite a lot of patients aren't aware that this is happening. Um, So I think we are going to need to make a little bit more of an effort in consultations to build this in. Um, So it might be a matter of saying, you know, that this plan for your reducing steroid regime is quite complicated. So you might you might want to log back in whenever you get home and you know it's all in writing if you want to do that or if we're having a consultation with somebody and we're concerned that they may be in a coercive relationship, we could say during the consultation, do you want me to hide this from the online view so that if anybody does access your phone, they won't be able to see this discussion. Um, and I think that is going to take a bit of adapting, but it's probably something that eventually will just come naturally to us like everything else that we do.
1: Tom, are you looking at me, waiting for me to speak? I yeah. Well, if you want to, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just interested. In, I'm interested in what our guests think about what happened. What you know, just unpicking what happened with the rollout in England, and you know, um, if as we were saying um, before, that um, many, most of the GPS you spoke to were kind of broadly supportive of the principle of it, and you know, obviously there's a lot of um, enthusiasm from patients. You know, going by that clip that we heard earlier as well. Um, Where where do you think this um, sort of fell down, and and how could that be improved for the future?
5: I was just thinking about what you were saying. It is it is much more complicated than just switching on a button, and I think although people were uh, broadly supportive of the principle when people start to think about it and even in our discussion today you can see that when you really start to think about it and unpick it there's lots of what if scenarios and people want answers to that to feel reassured that this is kind of a safe space for them to work in so like one thing that cropped up and and something I wasn't aware of because I'm not a clinician myself is that um, GPs often use this as like a safe space to write notes for themselves and for other clinicians. Um, I think people were really concerned about, so where am I going to write a note for a locum that comes in or I work in a great big practice, I never see the same patient again. Where do I write all those things that I probably wouldn't want a patient to see, but it's quite difficult to justify that so like one of our participants said you know what do you do in a mental health consultation where you think a person maybe might not have clinical depression they've just got a bit of a crappy life I don't know if you, I can say that um at home um and you you kind of want to note that somewhere in in the record but you wouldn't want a patient to read it um so or oh, another thing was really nice actually was uh one GP was saying I put notes about like my patient's pets or their family so that when they come next time I can say, Oh, how how was your holiday in Tenerife? Or, you know, did is your cat okay now? And that helps them to kind of maintain that really personable relationship. But well, they wouldn't want the patient to know that they can't remember, um, you know, if they've got a cat or a dog or whatever. Um, so it's kind of that that loss of that safe space. So that. That's just one example, you know.
0: Of, of, it's a great you know. point, and I, I I share that that concern, um, Brian. Not to put you on the spot or anyone else. Do you do you have an answer for me there, for us?
4: I mean, so the systems the systems are capable of hiding entries from the online view. So, if there's something that you think could potentially cause distress or put a patient at risk, then you would be justified in. I think if we're going to redact, redact entries or hide entries from the online view, then I think we need a very strong justification for being able to do that. And I think it, it is probably just going to be a matter of we're, we're just going to need to be more open and transparent that we forgot the name of their cat. <laughs> are, there, are, there,
0: are, are there guidelines? Are there places you can go? Because I it feels like that should be part of your, everyone should be trained in that before this would, would happen.
4: Yeah, so the, there's the RCGP uh, Patient Online Toolkit, and there's also all the, the guidance from NHS England on, on their Accelerating Records Access web webpages. Uh, and the guidance is pretty clear that, you know, if we're going to hide entries from the online view, it needs, there, there needs to be a very strong justification and it needs to be the, the potential for significant harm to the patient. And I think the kind of, you know, little touches that we were talking about were we sort of make a note they're going on holiday. I, I don't think that we could justify hiding those kind of things from the online view.
1: There are um parallels as well with um, you know, hospital specialists again in the in the UK, where there's been more of a drive for correspondence from, you know, a hospital appointment to be sent directly to the patient. Um and, you know, I think I think people can adapt to their communication um being tailored for the patient but also including that you know some of that information and I, I guess it is it is complex but I, I I think that's all part of the the learning curve um, that we all we're all going to go on as part of this. Whatever is important to the patient could probably
3: I mean again it's an issue of, of the culture change and change is never easy for especially if you're an overworked GP working at, you know the, we're still at the tail end of the pandemic I mean it's it could be viewed as just the worst time possible. On the other hand, it's a great opportunity this. So I think that um there probably are ways to adjust the, the records to annotate those little things that personalize the, the interaction. But I, I really I, I take the point about the, the changing functionality of the of the record where it is an aid memoir and that's what its its original purpose was so the shifting function where it becomes a communication tool as well as an aid memoir is something that we need to think about a lot. Um, and if doctors change, we don't know that much. We have survey reports where the majority of doctors say they don't change how they write um, and they may be cha- removing stick. Stigmatizing language, like patient complained of, patient denied that kind of thing. But in terms of differential diagnoses or adjustments that may be to uh, made to protect the patient, that would be worrying. Uh, and I think we don't, we certainly don't want to see records dumbed down because that could lead to to error. We've got to preserve that function, and, and that's I think a key message that needs to be sort of got out there and through it with our education, undergraduates and so on, that functionality must be preserved.
5: I was at a conference last week and I was chatting to some people, telling them about what I was researching And uh, I was talking to a GP and and they said, uh, you know what I really object to is the fact that it's a medical record and it's now called a patient record. And it really made me start to think about how something so simple as a name of naming it kind of goes back to that kind of ownership idea as well. Um, That this just a change of name from medical record to patient record actually is is a really kind of like complex uh, area. I just wondered what the the GPs uh, here today think about that.
0: I mean, I, I think there is it makes me think that there is this sort of power struggle going on, isn't there, in in, in healthcare. And I think there are although you, you might not they might not be organized, but I think there are still plenty of doctors out there who, who sort of want to keep some of that more control. And and of course there's big movements of patients and doctors who who have of the opposite view that this is of course all about the patient. Um but we don't, yeah, I I don't have a Oh, I do have a view. I'm very much on the patient side, but uh, <laughs> but I can see the arguments in in both ways. I, I think we should hear more of those arguments. We, we probably don't hear so much from the, um, the the quiet, worried doctors who are probably scared to put their neck stick their neck out and and say some of those things.
2: I just wanted to jump in um, because I, I am also very much on the patient side, but one. Question that has come up, at least in the analysis committee, um, when we were appraising a paper on this topic, was about the extent of the evidence um, that the simple, not the simple, because it's far from simple, but that the act of making records shared and public and open could meaningfully improve patient outcomes. And our understanding at the time is that there, there's, there are lots of suggestions that it could, and in, in theory, we all agree this is a good thing for a lot of different reasons, but that there hasn't been, to my understanding, kind of robust research looking at a direct relationship between access to your own medical records and concrete improvements in patient outcomes. And again, there are reasons for doing this outside of those kind of scientific researchy outcomes, but um, that it's important to consider, you know, what why are we doing this and, and how can we measure the impact?
4: So um, there's a, there was a good uh, systematic re- review published in the BMJ Quality and Safety in 2020 by Neves and colleagues. Um, one of the most interesting findings from that systematic review was that it, the meta-analysis showed evidence that patient records access actually had a significant impact on HbA1c. So I thought that was one of the most, you know, interesting findings. Uh, And there have been other, you know, systematic reviews showing other benefits as well. But that that was one that particularly stuck in my mind. Um, Just going back to uh, something Charlotte said about, you know, the potential for it to dumb down the the way that clinicians write in the notes, if if that's okay, if I go back to that, I think that that's another interesting topic and it's another way that we're potentially going to have to slightly adapt the way that we consult. But I think it's a good thing because I think in the past we might have, you know, saw someone who we thought has got irritable bowel syndrome um, and it's just one of the things we will do. If it's a woman, we'll do a CA125 because we're worried that they're bloating. At the back of our mind, could it be a ovarian cancer? And I think in the past, we wouldn't have had that conversation with the patient. A lot of the time, we might have just put that blood test request in and not m- not maybe mentioned that that's what we were doing. But I think records access is going to make us want to be more transparent. And I think that's a good thing because, um, it, well, it not only means that people won't be going home and saying, you know, oh, my goodness, my GP thinks I've got cancer, but it also means that in the, in the rare instances where it does turn out to be something more serious, We've already fired that warning shot. Uh, And I I think it's a balance to be struck between worrying patients unnecessarily, but also being transparent that there is a very slight chance that this could be something more serious. Um, and, And, you know, we just need to be open about that. And I think that that is going to be a bit of a subtle change in the way that we consult.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think from my point of view, I think that's the most well the, the benefit of this that I see it as being the, the greatest benefit is, is it, it's sort of the way it's sort of forcing <laughs> practice to improve because you have to be more transparent and, and involve the patient in the discussion and make sure you've got their their, their buy-in or consent to do the test or you know.
3: Yeah. So um, just to follow up with this the idea about the Outcomes research, and I think that's a fascinating area. It would be it would be great if there were more objective measures of, of outcomes here to see if there is a discernible difference. Um, similar to, to more objective um, uh, analyses of documentation changes, I think we do need to see that as well. But I think discussing the idea, it's it, it's often all too easy to characterise this as a kind of us. Uh, whether it's the health care professionals versus them, the patients. And in fact, you know, a different way to think about this is, uh, go back to Warner Slack, um, the Beth Israel Deaconess, Doctor who was very interested in human computer interaction and so on, who said, you know, patients are the least utilized resource in healthcare. So there is this opportunity to think of it more as, um, as Kay even said, you know, as partnering. There are going to be negatives. No innovation happens without some. negative side effects. But on the other hand, there could be serious opportunities to partner where, where the patient is, is the ally of the doctor and patients probably viewing their doctor that way anyway, when they go online to read these things. Um, so um, yeah, the, the empowerment factor, which is less easy to measure in some senses, might be the most critical thing here. Um, and just better understanding your own healthcare.
0: So, um, so we've covered a lot about, um, yeah, the evidence base, the, the pros and cons, and this is all summarised in, in your article. So I definitely encourage um, listeners to have a look at that on BMJ.com. Um But the other part of your article is about tips for clinicians, because it it's all very well, you know, talking through the the pros and cons and do you agree, do you disagree, but, yeah you know, it's going to happen. So what, what do we do?
4: So I'll not go into detail on each of them, but I think Obviously, out of the ones we discussed in the paper, I've got six. That might be too many, but I can just quickly oh, yeah. run through them. Go for it, yeah. Inform, involve, explain, empathize, reduce jargon, and support would be my top six. And I can go into those in more detail
0: if you want. Oh, wow. Now, Jenny, do you want any of those uh... Brian to go into any of those. These
1: all seem like uh, they could be each of those could be an episode in its own right. Um there's they're, they're, they're very, yeah. well, we'll, it's a good prompt for um for us all to read the article, I think.
2: Do those do those translate into some kind of like snazzy acronym we can remember?
0: Um, thank you. Brian, <laughs> uh, Gail, what do you think?
2: Um, I think
5: the one thing I would say from speaking to both patients and health professionals is that actually uh, most patients are on your side, um, and they're kind of not out there to to tri- chip you up. Or, and a lot of patients aren't really that interested unless they've got um, a health condition. I think you know probably less patients will be having a look at their record in detail than people perhaps are worried about. Um, and being honest is it is scary if someone said you know they were going to video what I did all day long and, and publish it I, I would feel really unnerved by that so I completely get the fact that you know opening up this record is kind of uh, really unnerving for GPs and, and anyone that kind of writes in the record but I think getting the part uh, the patients on your side to so things like uh, patient safety worrying that you're going to get loads of patients coming to you saying this is not right in my record that's wrong um is actually maybe a more positive thing because you can get patients to find out those things before it's a problem before it becomes a patient safety um issue so i think yeah i think for me the key thing really is you know please don't worry too much i mean i suppose you probably will have some <laughs> awful patients but on on the whole kind of this is an opportunity really to kind of get patients to to kind Mm. of work Mm. with you not against you
0: i think that's thank you for for recognizing that that there are some more challenging patients out there because i think it only takes one really bad encounter in a week or you know for me you know in a year you know and and it can really tarnish the rest of your 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 um the enjoyment of your job and so you know if one patient comes in and you know, complaining about what you've written about them or making a big complaint to the practice manager or 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 even worse you know that that's enough to 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 really um I guess kick you when you're down particularly if you're not really um enjoying your 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 job or finding it tough
5: yeah I, I totally get that I think um it, it's it, it's going to be you know as Charlotte said it, it navigating this change and increase transparency is, is definitely challenging
0: but but we do have an episode the last episode of this podcast about how to navigate change so maybe people can listen to that if they're not already um and, and that might help uh, charlotte
3: yeah so i'm not a clinician but um looking at the survey research it seems that patients are most unsettled when they see surprises oral missions and notes so maybe it, it's a case of, of discussing that fallibility with patients too and also um emphasizing that the, the fun what the function of the record is um well it, it's to record the details but it, there are multiple functions here too um and to talk through um what is being documented as as brian said um just so that it, it it's it supplements that Converse face to face conversation.
2: I just really wanted to add to what you said, Charlotte, um, that there's still so much value to be had from conversation with patients, you know, regardless of the content of their notes, regardless of their reactions to it. Um, Drawing on a recent personal example of a medical condition in a family member, even though that person had had written communication about about their health condition from a doctor, they were all kinds of confused. And I think that we still play a really important role in kind of direct conversation and interaction and engagement, answering questions, regardless of what may be written or how clearly it's written. I couldn't agree more with that. Um, Just again, personal experience
3: um, with my partner and visiting, it's the doctor that you want the advice from. And that really is the locus of, of, of everything that happens in terms of information advice. But what what I just mindful of, of my own research, there were times when I thought, gosh, I do wish that we had more information just to prepare, if nothing else, for what to ask the doctor in those situations. And that's where the, the deficits for me really arose. Um Yeah
0: so this has been really interesting um i'm afraid we we have run out of time so we'll have to leave it there um as i say the article um covers much of this and more uh so do have a look at that on bnj.com. uh thank you so much for joining me um gail it's uh, lovely to talk to you
5: thank you i've really enjoyed it
0: thank you and brian thank you very much for having us yeah thank you and charlotte as well take care
2: likewise i've really enjoyed the discussion
0: thank you and uh, and thank you jenny and joy as well Um you enjoyed it
2: this was so fascinating thanks so much to our guests and thanks for listening yeah ditto thank you so much and uh yeah see you next time
0: lots of goodbyes Um, but we will be back saying hello in a couple of weeks uh, for our next episode Um, do join us then Uh, if you've enjoyed the podcast please like us on your podcast app uh, let your colleagues know send an email mention it in the the coffee room um, and uh, join us for our next episode in a couple of weeks bye for now